Welcome to the Empowering Industry Podcast, a production from Empowering Pumps and Equipment as the voice of the pump and related equipment industry. and welcome to the Empowering Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Matthews, and I am just excited to be here, excited for another episode. Um, If you haven't done so, please like and subscribe. It makes everything easier for you and for us because we get to know that you're there listening. And today I have a special guest that I actually met through social media because she is active there. And so Janelle, go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of let people know who you are and what you do. Well, thank you so much. I'm Janelle Armstrong. I'm a water and wastewater engineer. I currently work for Brown and Caldwell, but I've been in the industry for just coming on 25 years now, which is incredible to say. Um, I stumbled accidentally into the water industry and it was the best stumble of my life. So it's been a fabulous journey in this industry. Yeah, well, there's so much there, you know, first of all, to have a career, a 25 year career in water and this space. And, and I just love it. I love it because it's important. It's the work that you do and that have done is, is what keeps us running and going and, and life. It's vital to life. So I always appreciate that. And I see your post about, you know, think a water operator or, you know, this is what's going on with the industry. And, and I just admire you for putting yourself out there and kind of um, letting us know what's going on in your world. And I think that's really, really something. So Let's let's back up to, you know, falling into the industry. Tell us a little bit more about how you did that. Well, I um, growing up, I really wanted to be a pilot in the in the United States Navy. That was my dream. Um, I really wanted to do that. So I planned it out and I went to the, the Naval Academy and I had, you know, had to pick a major and ocean engineering sounded like a pretty cool place to be. I really liked ocean engineering kind of was that intersection of my love of math and science and all things STEM. So I I selected ocean engineering, which was really fascinating. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then when I got to my senior year at the academy, my eyes were not what they were when I entered. And they said, sorry, sorry, not sorry. You're not going to be a pilot, you know. (laughs) And it kind of changed the trajectory of my life. I ended up getting out of the Navy. And actually, ocean engineering, while it's a fabulous interesting, wonderful field. It's somewhat limited. You know, you have to be near an ocean. And I didn't live near an ocean at the time. So I actually went back to school to get my civil engineering degree and eventually my master's in environmental engineering. Um, When I first got out of school, I actually got a job for Exxon doing uh, deep water structures, kind of that ocean meets civil, which was very interesting. Uh, 4,000 feet, like deep water and it's just the structures between the oil platform on top and the seafloor below it's kind of the in-between part that no one thinks about um doing tension lake platforms different structures in the ocean and while i loved that work i didn't love working in the oil industry just wasn't my calling you know some people absolutely adore it some people don't and so um i kind of kept looking around and this opportunity in the water industry to work for brown and caldwell came in, into my lap and almost fell into my lap. Uh, a professor that I loved in school, the water and wastewater classes I took said, hey, you know, this person's looking for a new a fresh engineer kind of right out of school. I'd only have one year with Exxon. So I was still pretty new in the industry. So I interviewed and I ended up joining Brown and Caldwell in 1999. So um, it was kind of a few years ago, right? <laughs> well, I won't tell and- you what I was doing then, but but there was... There was um, <laughs> 
you know, so much. First of all, thanks for your service. I, you know, oh, no matter what you. and how long, and if it aligned up with what your dream was, it set you up for success. And um, there's so many people that do come out of the military uh, all across the board that enter our industry with the tools that they need to succeed. So um, I'm just super grateful for that. And something that I've seen um, also being a trailblazer as a woman in that space um, for sure. So just, just so much there, but, you know, getting into Brown, Brown and Caldwell, what do you, what is your role there? What are you, what are you, uh, what does your everyday look like? Well, right now I'm this title, which sounds very fancy, but it, it, they call me a portfolio chief engineer, which, you know, being an engineering for the last 25 years, I said, Ooh, chief engineer, I'm in, right? That That's sounds right. so fancy. <laughs> but what it is, is I, it's, it's amazing. So I'm responsible kind of for three things at BC. The portfolio I'm a part of, I'm the chief engineer for the New York City portfolio. So all the, the projects that are for New York City DEP is primarily what I'm doing right now. And I have a three-prong kind of approach to what I do. So I'm, I'm responsible for, maybe responsible is not the right word, but the technical guidance for all the young people, the junior level staff, the mid-level staff, and kind of the technical guidance, not directly teaching them. Some of that I do, but just making sure that they feel connected. They're getting that guidance they need to really improve their technical skills within the industry. I'm also responsible for mentoring that level of staff as well. So I, and I look at that differently than technical guidance. Mentoring is involving really looking at their strengths, looking at their enthusiasms, um, and pairing that with what the company needs, as well as checking in. Are, do they feel they're on the right track? Are they really looking at a fulfilling career? Because, you know, as well as I do, while not everything you do at your career you love, you do have to have some things you love to continue doing what you do. So we make sure that there's enough in their day-to-day -day that they really are in line with their strength and enthusiasm. And the last thing I do is quality control, you know, making sure the products that we produce are the highest quality that we, we can do for our clients. So it's kind of a wonderful intersection for me of what the things I love, which is the engineering side and the technical side. And I love teaching and sharing with everyone in the industry. As you saw by my social media, I'm always out there trying to, you know, really engage people and teach people. And this allows me to do both at my job. So it's been, it's just been a wonderful opportunity for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, chief is a great title for that because it's, it's, it's leading and um, you've got a lot of responsibility with that um, title that, that comes along with that. Right. But of course, the unique part there is guiding these and mentoring your community of work with your workforce. Right. It is so interesting. I was just talking with this gentleman about adaptive work management, and it was talking about you know, and he kind of asked me these questions and I didn't know the answer to because I never heard this term before, but it is what we do. It's like, okay, this is the team we have. This is the work that we need to get done. Who's the best person? And they actually like doing this because some people don't like the things that we like, right? And they're the best fit for that. And figuring that out, um, it's challenging though, because a lot of the times you may not know how people really feel because they're really, you know, wanting to show up. Uh, at work. So how do you navigate that? 
that's been excellent. Like that is very true. And before I kind of came into that role, I think we were seeing a lot of that, especially for this New York City portfolio. And what I have been able to do is I'm not in their direct chain of command, for lack of a better term. I explain my role as almost like an ombudsman. That's what we used to call it, the military. So I'm not within the chain of command of the people I'm mentoring. They have a supervisor. They have a direct chain of command. And I'm that's not who I am right now. What I am is a a really a good source of information, as well as I gather information. I'm currently mentoring, I don't know, about 20 to 30 people, depending on the month, the week, what's going on. And I gather information that I see kind of as across the board of what's happening with, within our portfolio. And I'm able to kind of pass that along up the chain without it being specifically from one person. Mm-hmm. So that's been really helpful, as well as I start out all my conversations with the people I mentor is what went well. As engineers, we are looking for problems. We solve problems. We get a lot of, you know, wonderful accolades solving problems. But it also means we really search for problems and we often gravitate towards the thing that went wrong. So I always kind of start with what went well. And from what I can learn with what went well is what really lights that person up? What really do they connect with in our industry? And I can continue to help our, you know, their supervisors and their management lead them those type of projects. So it's, I'm able to get more hmm, realistic, maybe honest and less sugar-coated feedback because I'm not in their direct chain of command. And I think it's become. Yeah, I think it's so true because, I mean, I can ask uh, questions um, to somebody and I know that they're not kind of giving that feedback because there, there's a little bit of that, like judgment, like, is she going to judge me for yes. this or whatever, but you can hear <laughs> yes. them like just talking, you know, amongst themselves and there's plenty to say. Right. And so it's really interesting. Uh, we did that. Uh, we brought in a consultant recently. Um, and I thought that was so helpful because everybody got to share to her pros and cons. Right. And then at the end of the day, what's needed, what's the best thing. And I didn't have to know everybody's pros and cons. I just needed to know the direction we needed to go, which was really wonderful because I think we were able to move forward. And so what a great um, way to work every day. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. It's fabulous. I'm so lucky to be able to interact with people. And really, I just recently had a great example of kind of how this works. I have been mentoring a a mid-level engineer for, you know, a good six months or so. And I knew one of the tasks she does really wasn't her favorite thing. She was really good at it. You know, we often think, well, if someone's really good at it, they must love it. And that's not the case. That's why I always say it's a strength with an enthusiasm. Like it needs both of those things. She didn't love it. But I had heard through someone else that was talking that someone was hired in a different office. And BC is typically a very virtual company. We can work anywhere on anything. And COVID has just made that better for us, not worse. So it was something we were already doing and now we're doing it even more so. And someone was hired in a, I think one of our Charlotte or somewhere a different that really loved that particular task. Like that's what she wanted to do for her career. And I said, Ooh, you know, just kind of seeing that in my mind was like, Oh, and so I hooked them up um, and she's training this new employee and they're going to be doing this role, which lights this person up. And she's so excited to get to do it. It's actually her minor. She's an engineer, but minored in sustainability management. So she's going to be doing all of the sustainability work, which is so important and critical, especially in our New York City work. Yes. But it, you know, it, it, it got to come off someone's plate who while was competent at it and actually very good at it, really didn't love it. It wasn't really what they wanted to do. It wasn't what lit up their soul. So it was a situation where it doesn't mean that 
the work doesn't have to get done. It of course does. And we all have to get our work done, but that does, we can really pair the people with the right jobs, the right tasks, the right ideas. And that's been, so that was a recent success of mine that I thought was, was so great for everyone involved. Yeah. And you have to kind of look at like, they're not negatives. If somebody's not doing that job or wanting to do that job, it's not a negative per se. It's a positive in another area. That's something that it's just a, you know, a problem to be solved, if you will, uh, but not a negative on that person. And it, and it will, it will be amazing to see how once they get into that position where they do have the enthusiasm that opens up their world, but it also gives somebody the opportunity for that to be their job. The the thing that they left, the thing that they didn't really want to do that somebody did. And now they're enthusiastic about it. So I love that. Um, I love what you called it career branding earlier before mm-hmm. we jumped on. I, I love that. Yeah. The intent of career branding is really to be able to allow people to feel their way into the industry, to see what really, what I have them do is um, I typically meet with people every two weeks or so. And I typically say, okay, write a few things down or note a few things that when you finished, you felt really good. You had gaining energy. You really, you finished an activity and you're like, yes, I could do that again. Write a few of those down because we'll start tracking those over time because a lot of people don't know what brings them the most joy. You know, they haven't really taken the pause to think about, oh, they do remember what you know, they lose energy frequently, right? Like I never want to do that again. That's no problem. We all can come up with those. But what I have people notice is at the end of the day, what, what activities felt really good? What was I gaining energy from? What could I do again? And from those, from those data points, we help build, this is where I'd like to go in my career. And we'd start to highlight, okay, in a few years, maybe this is what I'd like to be doing. And it doesn't mean it's a rigid, you know, super highway. It's a path that allows you to focus on the future by still doing what you love today. So that's well, kind I'm, of our intent with career branding. Uh, well, I'm curious, um, who, who set you up for success here? Who did you have mentors? Did you find your way? Like, yeah, I did. And I just, and I, I initially joined BC in 99, but I recently went back. So I'm what they call a BC boomerang. I went back in May to Brown and Caldwell after being gone for 11 or 12 years. Um, And one of the reasons I went back is because one of the project managers that I trained with and worked with um, many years ago was still at BC and we had stayed in touch. He was frequently reaching out, hey, look at this job opportunity. Look at this job opportunity. And he always said he'd love to bring me back. The only reason I left is because I was actually moving and BC wasn't the full virtual company that they are today. So I changed jobs because I was moving. And so his name was Mark Robinson. And he became someone who's always kind of been my mentor, probably for the last 15 years or so. And he is more now, I would say a sponsor. So the not an active mentor anymore, but still a sponsor, someone who still tries to connect, sees the potential in what I do and connects it with what the company needs. So he was the one that really connected this, this role to me to this role and said, these are the things you're responsible for. Technical guidance, mentoring, and quality control. Good luck. Perfect. <laughs> so. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I think we all um, need that. We need somebody to encourage and sponsor and in the tools, right? We definitely need the tools as well. And so I love that about what you're doing and providing that technical expertise to people and, and connecting them with the people they need to know and the resources that they need. So 
I'm, I'm still curious about the quality control side. Um, so you're, so you go out and kind of look at the products in action. Do you get to go out into plant? I mean, to building. I do sometimes okay. I do get to go to plants, which is my happy place. Uh, before I rejoined Brown and Caldwell, I was actually at my local utility as their engineering manager, because it was really important after about 20 years in the industry, while I always attempted to design with operators in mind, because, you know, it's really, we design a plant for say six months to two years. Someone builds it, the contractor builds it for a year or two, but the operators are there for a lot longer time frame, right? Like we really, it was always important for me to design for this, the operators in mind. And I said, you know, I, I really need to put more on this. So I, I left consulting and I went to my local municipality and uh, was their engineering manager. And in doing that, I actually got to work at the plant every day, earn my operator's license and really wanted to kind of put my money where my mouth was, so to speak. Like I wanted to really do it. Take apart a pump, put a sludge judge in, take samples every day. I got to look at the microscope. Like I really wanted to not just say it, but to do it. And that was, it really changed the way I looked at design. So a lot of the quality control work I do is really looking at treatment plant design or facility design is how is this going to, how is this going to really be for the operators as well as I like to have those conversations with operators and with my experience now, I feel like I have better conversations and, and really trying to understand the feedback and present our drawings, especially now that we can do more 3D imagery, really present it in a way that operators can see themselves in it and give good feedback. I think when I first joined the industry, you know, you flip through 300 pages of, of drawings and they're like, yeah, that that's fine. Right. <laughs> it looks all the same. I understand. Yeah. You're like, sure, that works. And it's not till you build it that they say, well, that's really not efficient for me. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's rarely things that really cost a lot more. It's more of a rearrangement or a thought or, you know, really, where does this belong? How is this going to operate? How are we going to move this from here to here? When this fails, which inevitably things have to be replaced, they're going to fail. What do you do? It's not if it fails, it's when it fails, how are we going to remove it? How are we going to replace it? How are we going to work on that piece of equipment? So, so the quality side, a lot of it is really considering it from an operator's view, but it's also, while I'm kind of responsible for quality, there's a huge process in place that allows, what I'm really responsible for is making sure those reviews happen and, and comments are really incorporated into drawings and specifications and kind of that our process, which is set up for everyone to succeed is, is happening. So that's kind of the quality side that I do. I love it. Um, I'm curious about what type of organizations you're a part of and what any that you would recommend to other people in the space. Sure. That's a great one. So Water Environment Federation, WEF, is one that I'm really involved with, have been for a long time. There wasn't an active chapter in El Paso, Texas, way back when, when I first started with BC. So we created one, a joint chapter with AWWA. And WEF, we called it the Desert Mountain Chapter back in the day. And I helped set it up. And since then, I've been very active in WEF. The beauty of it is it was allowing us to have um, that particular organization was both El Paso, Texas, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. So there, it was a group that got together that really discussed how we did things in different areas. And even in that small region, we had such varied approaches, which was so fascinating to learn. And I've kind of stayed with that. I'm currently in the House of Delegates for WEF here in West, I live in West Virginia now, and I'm in that, that group, as well as we're creating kind of a Veterans Administration or a Veterans Initiative where 
just like you mentioned earlier, the type of skills we learn in the military are very useful in the water wastewater industry. We need to put, excuse me, we need people who follow regulations, who can kind of work through steps, who show up on time, <laughs> who come to work every day. It's really hard to be a water wastewater operator if you're not actually there operating. You know, it is something that has to be done uh, in person. It's really someone who's consistent, who's motivated, who wants to give back to the community. It's kind of a similar aspect. Someone who joins the military sees the greater good of giving to their community. And that's frequently the same type of person who would excel at a, in a water wastewater operator type role. Well, um, I'm almost tearing up in a minute because I can kind of see this full circle of how, you know, your enthusiasm and your excitement about work and what you're bringing to the job now and working out in your community is there. Um, and so I just think that you're leading by example. I can see it so clearly through you. And um, I'm, I'm, I, I I'm, could talk to you all day, but I want to kind of, <laughs> kind of give you the, the last, you know, um, statement to our audience. Just what is it something that you want to leave them with? Well, I would say that I was drawn to the water industry and I've really stayed in the water industry because there's very few jobs where you can improve uh, public health, you can protect our environment, and you can allow for the economic growth that we're all looking for. Frequently, those ideas are combative towards each other. And we're the group that allows those to come together. And I kind of see that as our future in the water industry. And I frequently remind people who work in that industry to really be proud of that and to be the advocate for what they do, which is so important, and what we do as an industry. I love it. Okay, a little bit of rapid fire, because I'm just super curious about you. Um, we'll start with your favorite book. Oh, right now, The Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay, I'm going to look that up. And then uh, favorite song or music, band? You know what? I have been, I, I know I'm an old lady, but I've been fascinated by the new Taylor Swift uh Yes, album the like, rave is out with her i almost sure. want to do an entire leadership course on taylor swift music like i, <laughs> I love she's it. really coming into her own <laughs> that's right okay so um shifting gears just a little bit what is the best advice you've ever received wow what a great question the best advice i would say don't take it personal I'm still trying to learn that one. I'm still me too. To that <laughs> That's why it's the best advice. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you, there's a lot of ways to look at that, and um, yeah, if you can get, if you can figure out why you're taking it so personal, that's an That's even true. better lesson, right? Okay, and then if you could give advice to young people coming into our space, what would that be? Mm, I would say it's the process of how to deal with criticism, and. I teach a lot of the people I mentor kind of my three-step process with how to deal with criticism. And I have a flow chart because I'm an engineer, right? So I have to have a flow chart for criticism. But I think it's so critical to be able to accept someone's, what they're saying, and then be able to kind of process it and decide and then implement if it's something you need to change. So I always tell people, start with if it's true for me. Mm -hmm. And that's the key right there. Is it true for me? Because someone saying something is true for them. They probably wouldn't be saying it typically if it wasn't true for them. But is that criticism true for me? Is it something I really want to change about myself? And if it is, then I'll come up with a plan to change it. If it's not true for me, or if it's not something I want to change, 
you just ignore it. You wish them well. Thank you for your advice and move on. So I think dealing with criticism, what I found is a lot of young people get so wrapped up in the criticism that they try to become something they're not. They spend 10 years or 20 years doing, you know, fixing, quote unquote, fixing this, only to find they're not very happy with the result. And I think let's not waste time with that. If it's true, great. If it's not, though, let's just ignore it and keep trucking. So how to deal with criticism. That is great advice. And um, I feel like I need that on a clip. We'll just keep running that so everybody <laughs> knows it. Janelle, what a pleasure to spend time with you today. Uh, thank you for you know being in our magazine, being a part and active in our community, and just you know the work that you're doing there with WEF and, and beyond uh, is wonderful. So one of our great episodes uh, here with BC. Uh, so we'll see how yours does. I know it's going to be a favorite, so I can say that. It's a favorite to, my, to me. So again, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Now, everybody else, make sure that you like and subscribe. Stay tuned next week. We'll be here every Monday. So until next time, be empowering. Bye.